You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. It's a personal joy for me to be here this morning in this uh, pulpit. I've learned much uh, as an occasional worshiper here. Fuller Seminary is in uh, Seattle, our Fuller Northwest campus here. And uh, I've learned so much from sermons preached in this pulpit. And it's a delight to be back with George Hinman, who was one of our pastors at Bel Air Presbyterian Church, where Phyllis and I belong. But it's also a, a marvelous privilege to open God's word with you this morning and reflect on what the Lord may have to say to us. In these verses from the epistle to the Colossians, the second chapter, and I'll be reading verses 6 through 19, where the apostle writes, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, taught abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with his legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. Therefore, do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food and drink or of observing festivals, new moons or Sabbaths. These are only a shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Do not let anyone disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels, dwelling on visions, puffed up without a cause by a human way of thinking, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows with a growth that is from God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, all flesh is grass, And the beauty of that grass is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but this, the word of our God, will endure forever. Well, the apostle writes, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him who is the head of every ruler and authority. My wife and I were in a 
a bookstore a couple years ago, one of the chain stores. This was, a, I think, a Barnes & Noble. And uh, I went over to the religion section, and those of you who have looked at religion sections in chain bookstores know how it goes. There's a, a shelf that'll say, uh, you know, Judaism, and another shelf that'll say Eastern religions and Christian fiction and uh, Christian thinking and but in, in this bookstore, there was one shelf on the bottom that was about twice as tall as all the rest. And this is what the sign said, oversized religion. <laughs> and I kind of like that label as it applies to Christianity because we do have an oversized religion. This is a text about an oversized religion. Huh? That in Jesus Christ, the, the fullness of deity was embodied, and that we are to enter into the fullness of the one who rules over all principalities and powers, all of the authorities in the universe, and, and that theme of Jesus as the one who, who rules over all principalities and powers, uh, the apostle opens this epistle with some wonderful words along these lines that that it's in Jesus Christ that all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. That's an oversized religion. That's a magnificent savior, a magnificent Lord, the sovereign ruler of the universe. And we're here this morning to worship him. Well, what does it mean to to worship him in his fullness and to enter into that fullness as ones who are invited to live our lives in Jesus Christ. Well, it seems very clear that the, one of the, the dominant themes that weaves its way throughout this whole epistle is that we are to acknowledge the authority of Jesus Christ over all things. And indeed, that's a theme that weaves its way through the entire uh, body of the, the writings of St. Paul and indeed through the entire uh, New Testament. Jesus saying to his disciples just before he ascended to heaven, an amazing thing, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. In Philippians 2, that he, he took the form of a servant and then he ascended so that he has now been given a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that's a kind of nice unpacking of this theme that we find in our text this morning that he's above all the rulers in the universe, that he's the sovereign ruler over, over all kinds of authorities, principalities and powers and the powers of the air and the visible authorities. Indeed, that's, that's spelled out so nicely in one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible in Revelation 5, where John is given a vision of something that's happening in heaven. And they've been, they found this scroll. And if you know what's in the scroll, you know how it's all going to end up. You, you understand the, the plot, the narrative. And if you don't know what it's in the, what's in the scroll, you can be pretty confused and, and pretty depressed about where it's all going in your own personal life and indeed in, in the nation and in the larger world, indeed in the whole cosmos. And so the word goes out, who is worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals? Because it's got seven seals. 
Now, they're obviously good Presbyterians because they start a search committee. <laughs> and the search committee searches and they come back with a, with a negative report. They said, we haven't found anyone who can take the scroll to open its seals. We, we've looked in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Very similar to Philippians 2. Very similar to the geography of the universe that we get here in this class. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and no one is able to take the scroll and to open its seals. You know, those, those three areas that in the heavens and on the earth and under the earth were in ancient times thought of as the three levels of authority in the universe. The heavens were not quite thought of as where God resides, but so much, not so much that as it was the, the area of the, uh, of, of the, of the, the invisible powers of the air in, in our theology, the angels, huh? And then the, the, on the earth are the visible authorities, the people who exercise authority over us in various spheres of, of human life. And then under the earth, the realm of the, what Paul mentions here, the elemental spirits, uh, those spooky kinds of things, the, the spirits of the dead, the kinds of things that we deal with symbolically on Halloween and, and other occasions. And they looked in all three areas. They, they looked in the heavens. Michael the archangel could not take the scroll and to open its seals. And neither could Gabriel, neither could any of the cherubim and seraphim. Uh, the, the angel Moroni, who stands atop every Mormon temple, he was not able to take the scroll to open its seals. So then they look on the earth, the visible authorities. And, and in ancient times, they were thinking the emperors. But, you know, the emperors were authorities over all areas of life. They were the, not only the political rulers, but they were the rulers over the games. Like, Good game yesterday, huh? Uh, but o ruler over the games, <laughs> ruler over the marketplace. They were the rulers over the military, over the clan system, rulers over all spheres of life. And so today, that's a much more diversified rule, you know? So it isn't just because of the election that neither Mr. Obama nor Mr. Romney could take the scroll and open its seals. And no one who rules over any nation of the earth, North Korea, England, Nigeria, Venezuela, they could not take the scroll and to open its seals. But, but neither could the editors of the Wall Street Journal. You know, neither could uh, any coach of any national football league team. Neither could any advice columnist. Neither could John Stewart. And you know, he try as, as he may, even Charlie Sheen could not take the scroll and to open its seals. So then they looked under the earth. You know? No ghost in any Stephen King novel could take this, the, the scroll and to open its seals. None of the, the departed spirits, none of those things that when we were kids we worried about hiding under the bed in the dark of our bedroom. The elemental spirits of the universe. And when John heard that negative report, he said, I wept. That's pretty bad news. No one is able to take the scroll and to open its seals. And then they came through with a second opinion. We found someone. The line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He is worthy to take the scroll and open its heels. And at that point, it isn't a lion who appears, but it's the lamb who was slain. 
and all the courts of heaven break out into this wonderful hymn. You are worthy, O Lord, to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed men and women for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and you have made us a kingdom and priests unto our God. Jesus Christ is able to take the scroll to open its seals. Jesus Christ, the lamb who was slain, the victorious lamb, is above every authority, whether in the heavens or on the earth or under the earth. And we come to worship him this morning, the one who is above all principalities and all rulers. We come to worship him. And he invites us into his fullness because he has, as this text teaches us, he's disarmed the rulers and the authorities and made a public example of them triumphing over them in it. You know, the image here, and it's a very common image in ancient times, that when a, a general would go off and, and, and have a victory over the enemies, he would take the leaders of the enemy forces that he had captured, and he would tie them by a rope behind his chariot, and he would enter into the city, leading them in captivity, these, these defeated rulers, these defeated generals, would, uh, would be paraded before the, the citizens as they cheered the victory. And we're going to see that someday. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. He will parade all of those people who thought that they had Authority, but they did it in open disobedience to his will, often persecuting the people of God. He has disarmed them on the cross of Calvary. And someday the victory will be made clear to the whole creation when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But in the meantime, we come as a people who are in on the secret. Jesus Christ has brought about the victory on the cross of Calvary. And we are here to worship him as the victorious Lord and Savior. Well, what does this mean for us? Three things that I'd just like you to think about as we go from this place this morning. And we need to acknowledge it. And we need to acknowledge that he is indeed the ruler, that we're entering into the throne room this morning. We're entering into the worship of the one in whom the fullness of all deity resided even though he appeared as a baby in Bethlehem and as a crucified Savior. We're here to acknowledge his rule. I wrote a book a couple years ago called Praying at Burger King. I got that image from the time that a friend and I met in a downtown area for lunch, and we went to Burger King. It was very crowded. Uh, families were there, uh, business people on their lunchtime. It was very crowded, very noisy, little kids running around, the smell of French fries in the air. And we went up to the counter and we each ordered a, bur a, a, a Whopper with cheese, fries, and then to feel, not to feel too badly about it, Diet Cokes. <laughs> we got our food, we went back to, found a table, it wasn't easy. We found a table where we were sitting there and we each bowed our heads to pray. And after we prayed, my friend said to me, you ever think about how weird it is to pray a Burger King? 
mean, it's kind of hard to get into the mood here. The kids running around, all the noise. And I thought a lot about that. And I decided we ought to pray at Burger King. You know, you know suppose you're at a, uh, at a mall and you see somebody you hadn't seen for two years, but you really like this person. And they're coming toward you. And, and, and you say to yourself, you know, I, I'm really not quite in the right mood. I haven't really thought about this person a lot. I think I ought to go off into one of the side areas and just reflect on this person and think all kinds of good thoughts about them. Uh, so that I can go back and say, hey, it's really good to see you. I've been thinking about you. You, know? <laughs> you, know, you don't have time for that. Yeah. You, you go up to that person and you greet them. Why? Because they're there. And here's the important thing about Burger King. Jesus is there. Jesus is in the offices where we work. Jesus is in the classrooms where we study. Jesus is in the stadiums where we, where we watch games. Jesus is in the theaters. Jesus is everywhere because all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto him. And it's important wherever we are to acknowledge his presence and to reflect in those quiet times on what we're supposed to do about the fact that he is above all principalities and powers and he exercises authority in all areas of our lives. Acknowledge it, not only here in church, but as we go forth to acknowledge that we have entered into his fullness and that means entering into the fullness of the awareness of his authority, his supreme authority over all things. And then to struggle with that's the first thing. Acknowledge it both here and out there. And secondly, struggle with our understanding of the fullness of Christ and his authority by entering into that fullness and realizing that it, it has something to do with our identity about who we are. It does have something to do with our Christian identity. Going back to that hymn in Revelation 5, where it says that... Uh, he was slain and by his blood he ransomed men and women for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation and has made us a kingdom and priest unto our God. We've been given a new identity in Jesus Christ. Now, we have a lot of other identities and they're, they're, they're good identities. Many of us, most of us, American citizens, fans of teams, members of families, People with ethnic and racial and gender identities, all of those are okay things. They're good things to, to celebrate. But in the most basic sense, they are not what defines us. What defines us is that we have been made into a people. We've been incorporated into a community through the blood of Jesus Christ. That means that we've got kinfolk from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. I had the privilege uh, a year ago of, of going to North Korea with Don Chang, the owner of the Forever 21 chain, who had, a Korean-American who had heard about starving people in villages in the northernmost part of North Korea. He donated 4,000 tons of food to the four villages that had been devastated by landslides and floods. And he uh, and little kids were, were starving. And he provided that food with two, with two conditions with the government. One is that every bag of flour, every bag of corn, every drum of cooking oil had to say on it, love your neighbor as yourself in Korean, and it had to have a cross on it. And secondly, 
that he had a right to go and to make sure it was being distributed to the people for whom it was intended. And he asked me to go with him. We drove 10, 10 hours north of Pyongyang with a government official. And we saw those little kids, men and women, families, who were using that food and who were surviving. That was a wonderful thing. But then on Sunday, uh, we were asked to participate in a service in one of the four legally sanctioned worship services in North Korea. And we ascertained that they really do worship there every Sunday in a Presbyterian-built church in Pyongyang because there were German and uh, Canadian diplomats there who said, we come to church here every Sunday. And as I walked into uh, that congregation that morning and the Korean choir, the North Korean choir was singing, Jesus paid it all, all to him I, I owe. I said to myself, I'm home. These are kinfolk. These are not just strangers that I had never met before, but they're brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And I'm finally meeting my family here in North Korea. And that sense of identity is so important to us as we, we think about who we are, that ultimately it's not our ethnic blood or our gender being a red-blooded American male, uh, None of those things that ultimately define me, but what defines me is that I have been made clean through the blood of Jesus Christ and been incorporated into a community from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And this is the gathering where we come together and realize that we have an identity as citizens of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that has profound implications about how we think about the big issues of life <laughs> and indeed, the big issues of, of global realities. To struggle with our identity. One of the earliest documents that we know of right after the New Testament in the history of the Christian church is a, a wonderful document called the Epistle of Diognetus, the Epistle to Diognetus. It was written by an early Christian leader not too long after the apostles writing to a Roman official and explaining to him what this new religion of following Jesus was all about. And he says some very profound things, but one, one great line in there goes like this. For those of us who follow Jesus, every homeland is a foreign country, and every foreign country is a homeland. We need to absorb that identity as we come into the throne room and enter into the fullness of who Jesus Christ is and the fullness of what that means for our understanding of who we are in Jesus Christ. <coughs> and then entering into that fullness means seeing things differently as we go forth from here. You know, the, the uh, psalmist discovered that in Psalm 73, great psalm. He said, you know, I really got into some bad stuff. I started seeing things in weird sort of ways. I began to envy the rich. I be, began to envy the, the beautiful bodies out there. I began to envy people who mocked God and lived in disobedience to God. And I said, wow, they're really living. I want to be like that. And he said, if I'd kept on that road, I would have been in big trouble. But he said, this is what happened to me. And then a wonderful verse in Psalm 73. And then I went into the sanctuary of the Lord. And I saw what it's really all about. I saw where that kind of stuff ends up. And having been in the sanctuary of the Lord, I can come away and I can say, as for me, it is good to be near unto God. 
And that gave him a new way of seeing things, a new way of understanding the realities of life, a, a new way of sorting out the very definitions that the many definitions that we encounter every day about what it means to be a popular person, a healthy person, a flourishing person, a happy person. <laughs> to enter into the fullness of Jesus Christ is to, to see things in new ways in the light of <coughs> Jesus Christ. To see things in different ways. Phil and I, a number of years ago, went to Haiti I need that glass of water, I think. <coughs> Where? Oh, way under there. Yeah, okay, good, thanks. Went to Haiti to uh, do retreats from some missionary and relief families. One afternoon, the, a couple of the missionary families took us on a ride through some desperately poor areas of the northern part of Haiti, and uh, it was kind of a stretch version of a SUV, and there wasn't enough room for all the adults up front, so I sat in the back with the missionary kids, two of whom were twin Haitian girls who had been abandoned at birth on the doorstep of one of the missionary families, <coughs> and they uh, adopted these kids, beautiful five-year-old Haitian twin girls. And as we're driving through the countryside, the kids started singing Sunday school songs, songs that I used to sing. I hadn't sung for years, you know. And I sang with them, climb, climb up Sunshine Mountain, the B-I-B-L-E, that's, that's the book for me. I'm H-A-P-P-Y. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves the little children of the world. It was great. But <laughs> just as we were entering into a desperately poor village, seeing some of the worst poverty that you can imagine. They started to sing a song I always hated as a kid. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little ears what you hear. Careful little feet where you go. Careful little hands what you do. I always thought of that as the most negative kind of evangelical uh, pietism, you know. Don't look there, don't listen to that, don't do that, don't touch that. <laughs> and I thought to myself, isn't it ironic that we're, we're going through some of the worst poverty that you can imagine, and these kings are, kids are saying, be careful little eyes what you see. And then I believe the Spirit of God gave me a different thought. And all of a sudden I thought, you know, there's a whole different way of reading that song. Be careful what you see because the Father up above is looking at this. And the Father up above is looking down in love on that Haitian village. And be sure that you see what he sees. Be careful. And then I realized that those missionary families would not be there unless there were people who were willing to see what God sees, to hear what God hears, to go where God goes, to touch what Jesus touches. Those little twin girls would not have been in that van singing if there weren't people who were not willing to embrace little children with the arms of Jesus. It was a whole different message for me. And it's a message for us this morning. We've been in the presence of the King. We've been in the presence here of the one 
in whom the fullness of deity dwells, and yet he came as a little baby in the manger of Bethlehem. He went to the cross. He suffered in every way that we've suffered. He knows what it's like to be us, and he wants us to see what he sees, to hear what he hears. That's my word for you this morning. Be careful. Be full of care as you go from this place to see what he sees, to hear what he hears, and to go where he goes because in him the fullness of deity dwells. And he calls us to enter into the fullness of all that he cares about and all that he loves. May it be so with us. Lord God, we praise you for what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. We praise you that we can enter into the presence of the sovereign ruler of the universe in, who, who was like us, and yet in him the fullness of your deity dwelt. We thank you that he went to the cross for us. We thank you that he was raised for us. And we thank you for the privilege of being in your presence. May we go forth from this place, honoring what we have seen and heard here this morning. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.